to introduce the practice of meditation, I like to <coughs> compare it to a pilgrimage. Recently I went to Israel and landing in Tel Aviv in the airport I saw many group of tourists always name on their chest and those names were very fancy names like quest group or something like that so they were not just ordinary tourists they were people coming in pilgrimage to visit the holy land and the holy place and of course that does not happen only in Israel but in many countries according to the belief of the people Many of them would travel to Varanasi by the Ganges, to Mecca, to Jerusalem, to Bulgaria, or maybe to Isa in Africa. And for the pilgrims, it is a very important journey. For them, the aim of their tour or their trip is a very specific place, a sacred place. Those sacred places often is or are reached after a very long journey and sometimes in some tradition it is really like the fulfillment of a very long way and even for some it's a fulfillment of the wish of their life. Like for some Muslims to go to Mecca and see the huge stone there, it's very important. And they will sacrifice much of their belonging and possession to go to this sacred place. Those sacred places is like reaching finally a place which may be the place of destination and at the same time the place of origin. A place beyond which there is nowhere to go. I remember once going to Mount Kailash in Tibet, is very holy mountain for the Buddhist and for the Hindu. And just the evening before starting the walk, which takes three days to go around the holy mountain, there were three people from India, three Hindu people, and they were making a puja facing the sacred mountain. And they had tears in, in their eyes, and for them it was so important. They invited us to their puja and said, <coughs> make any wish, it will be granted. You are just facing Shiva. For them, the holy mountain was just being in front of Shiva. They say, well, after that one can die, there is no problem. So they really had reached the end of their journey. There is nowhere else to go after that. Secret places have been very important since the early time in the history of 
humankind and they were considered as places of the most dense sense of existence or the most dense dense of presence the place where one would feel to exist the most it will be considered to be the center of the world in many traditions it is a place where the world has been created it is the place where the world has started so for the pilgrim to go there it's very important it may be a place like Jerusalem or Varanasi it may be a temple it may be a tree like in Bodhgaya all those places are always considered the center so many centers like in India so many holy trees in small villages you would find always a few trees and offerings are made to those trees and they are always considered the center and the center is a place which is not located it is a place which gives location to all other places it gives the direction of north, south, east, west this place actually is not in any situation it's not that one would say it is there with compared to any other point because that is a referring point which is just in a sense coming to some place less situation that's why for the pilgrimage for the pilgrims maybe there is nowhere else to go when they reach finally this place which is at the center and which is the densest place of existence and in those places temple mountains holy trees sometimes rituals are performed and those rituals for the most ancient they often especially the rituals which are happening at New Year they come to a time before time arose before the creation getting to this time of, of chaos before anything started to be structured it's not that those rituals are located in historical time like they may be later rather coming at a before time started so those places of rituals or sacred places of rituals they are not located in a specific space because they are the center and they also transcend time <coughs> all the rituals which are performed there sacred rituals are not concerned with usefulness they are not concerned with causality because all that causality or usefulness will bring a sense of time and would bring also a sense of subjecting any act, ritual act 
to some further results and then there will be not in the fullness of those acts they will be just subjected to the result so any ritual right usually do not correspond to something useful if we see profane which is the opposite of sacred profane is the space of usefulness of causality of time and the sense of the world of the word means that which is in front of the temple so the profane is not inside the sacred it is outside the structure of the universe when this center has been set everything organized from this center then if one go farther one will reach the world where light does not reach anymore so it is a light the world of confusion the world of demons the world of fear and the world of the unknown <coughs> the opposite of that is the temple the pillar the holy tree or sacred mountain where the light is where the source and the origin is for some people their pilgrimage is to go and to see their guru where they will be at the feet of their guru and there is nowhere else to go from there that's the densest place of existence So we may see from that that the sacred and the profane have some features which are different, distinct. The sacred place or the sacred is not located in time at a very specific spot where actually the sense or notion of place is vanishing, not on time, while the profane is rather concerned with efficiency causality and time now that for the outer pilgrimage for the practice of meditation or yoga or the practice they are not concerned with outer pilgrimage but rather with an inner pilgrimage to find also this place within oneself where the most complete sense of being or presence or existing would be found not to be concerned anymore with usefulness with transformation rather getting to that spot <coughs> which is not located neither in space nor in time within ourselves finding this placeless place from where there will be nowhere to go where nothing will be lacking where the sense of completeness will be in its fullness
So we may imagine now that we will try to locate this place somewhere within ourselves, in our head, in our heart, or wherever. <coughs> the Indian tradition of yoga actually is giving some detailed map of this inner pilgrimage, the way to follow to reach some specific spot in the heart or at other places through some practice to be able to bring one's consciousness to those very specific spots like an inner pilgrimage now in our practice we don't look for any specific places not in the head nor in the heart rather Every experience is a sacred place. Every experience is exactly where the fullness of our being may be experienced. Not keeping a profane attitude where we'll be standing in front of it, like if we were in front of the temple. Rather just experiencing. Or if you wish, being at the center of this experience, whatever it may be, it may be hearing a sound, it may be seeing a shape or color, or experiencing some physical sensation. no specific places, just in the experiencing. And this experiencing then will not be located at any specific place. Because there would be nothing to compare with it. Nobody in front to stand in front as a profane, but just this experience. The simplicity at every instant of this experience. No need to go very far to travel across the Himalaya to go to the Mount Kailash, but just be here at every instant. No long journey. Actually, any journey would rather take us out of this sacred place.
for the retreat will keep the ethical guidelines which are followed in Kaya House I will repeat not killing not killing <coughs> keeping celibacy keeping silent and not taking any interference may be understood in many ways may be understood in one way as things that one should or should not do understanding the meaning of it that it is harmful for us to do them harmful for our practice therefore it's better not to do them that's one aspect of it we may also consider those guidelines with respect to others although here they are slightly limited because our interaction is limited because we are in a retreat yet it is out of respect for others that they will be kept it's slightly different if one does not kill animals because of the very painful consequences or if one does not keep animals out of respect for any type of life of course it's same for stealing or for lying trying to really develop a sense of respect for others that will be the guidelines for our behavior not necessarily only because it could harm our practice, our meditation but rather understanding that all other sentient beings do really share the same qualities, the same needs and the same sensibility of their own in this spirit then <coughs> we'll rest in those guidelines in the hall here there is no Buddha statue and I did not really find a proper way in the house to put here not that I think it's essential to everyone yet <coughs> I understand that it is proper for me when I teach to be seated in front of a Buddha statue because the tradition which I will be teaching is something that I completely receive from a few teachers who themselves I receive from other teachers and there is nothing at all which I discovered by myself and sitting here in front of there is nobody behind me there like if I were just teaching my own stuff and my own discovery which I think is not the case Also, when I was in Israel, some of the managers, they asked me not to speak about Buddhism. They said, you know, the people, they are not 
into religion or into Buddhism. What they want to know is meditation. And when Dhammatoka gave in Tel Aviv, I did not speak about Buddhism or religion. And then I got completely bored and fell asleep nearly before the people who were listening to me fell asleep. <laughs> so I thought about it and for me it's also not very proper to teach Buddhism in disguise. Because then people sometimes belong to other traditions and if one starts to speak and say I'm going to give the Buddhism framework and you can take from you can take whatever you want from this framework. But at least if you don't want, you know where it is coming from. So you can protect yourself from that. But now if I don't give the framework, pretending that it is something like a science, some universal truth, that it is such a universal truth that I even don't need to call it Buddhist because it's the only truth. I don't know if it is the only truth, but I know that it is actually stated and explained in the context of the Buddhist tradition. That's why I will use Buddhist terminology, not as a matter of that is the only truth and that's what you should believe in, but it is what I studied and that's what I can teach nothing else. I was reading a few pages from the Bodhisattva yesterday and found a few lines which seemed quite obscure and I remember that I had studied that quite long ago and in the evening I found some commentaries and read them. I was quite sleepy but I understood them because actually I had studied them so many times that just recollection and reading a few lines just brought back to memory what I, I had studied earlier. <coughs> and reflecting on the Bodhisattva, I studied maybe four or five times the complete text and I translated maybe two times for some geshe in Switzerland. <coughs> And I see that, in a sense, they spend a lot of time teaching a few of us those texts and it will be a pity not to pass it on to other people all the time that were spent in studying and teaching those beautiful texts. Then I think it's also the responsibility when one studies the tradition with all its richness than to just transmit to others. And that, of course, it will be always up to people listening to it to do whatever they wish to do with it. <coughs> That's why I will start the sitting our meditation session I invite you to start, if you wish, with the taking of the refuge. And that will be done mentally. Each one will do if he or she feels doing it or not doing it, it doesn't matter. But if some have connection with that, they can do it. If some do not have connection, then you just don't do it. And we can recite the Sanskrit 
phrases because I think they are the most simple. And the Sanskrit phrase is Namo Buddhaya, Namo Dharmaya, Namo Sanghaya. Namo means homage, homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, which is the truth, and homage to the Sangha, which is the community of people practicing this truth. So that can be practiced at the beginning of any session. Any way of explaining the meaning of the refuge to connect with. And I think sometimes it is important to consider that something is or something can be discovered. And that this acknowledgement, Namo Buddhaya, Namo Dharmaya, Namo Sangaya. And something that also the Tibetan tradition teach actually all the different lineages to start a sitting meditation. And I will explain it to you now that we can start to practice it as a nine round breathing exercise. So we'll imagine inside of ourselves three very, very tiny on the left it will be red on the right it will be white and in the center blue and so those three they gather four fingers below the navel they come in the head and the red one goes out through the left nostril the right one goes out through the right nostril and the blue one come out just here in the forehead one will first start to breathe in from the left nostril blocking the right one and imagine that the air is going all the way down then goes into the white one on the right goes up and goes out so we do that three times if you wish so you may block your nostril <coughs> often is done this way so we'll just start from the first breathing in from the left nostril which is and the tube which is imagined to be red white, very tiny pipe or tube, 
and we will practice the meditation on our motivation is an important aspect of our practice seeing the practice of our meditation and our spiritual life are the way of practicing generality for the sake of all sentient beings our practice is what we are offering for the well-being and for the freedom of all sentient beings At the beginning of every sitting, we'll just spend a very short time reflecting on that. During the retreat, we left different sessions of meditation, <coughs> a different practice. In the morning, we will practice love and kindness, the first sitting. Then in the morning, we will practice meditation on the nature of the mind. And then in the afternoon, we left a gesture of awareness session. And we'll go on with the meditation on the nature of the mind. And in the evening, the last sitting will be on the practice of stolen, of taking and giving, taking the suffering of other beings and giving happiness. And there will be between those sessions working meditation. But for the practice of Tonglen, I will give more information. I would just like that for the time being we start this short session of meditation. <coughs> Going in the direction of our meditation on the nature of the mind. <coughs> About which I will speak much more tomorrow. Differently. 
produced rest in the hearing of the sound, the light and fine sounds, just resting in that. Just relaxing what you hear, naturally without making any effort. <coughs> 